So we are in the book of Judges. We are in chapter 18. And just to sort of give everybody an overview, we just finished Samson, as you all know. Samson is from the tribe of Dan. And what we've got in Judges 18 is the tribe of Dan is moving. In that map behind me, right on the Mediterranean, there's that sort of light blue area that's marked as Dan. If you look over where Kareth, Jerem, Gibeon, Beth Shemesh, which again is in the Dan, Benjamin area, that's where Samson was doing his stuff. Once Samson is dead, Dan is unable to hold that territory. The Philistines run them out. And so the Philistines are from all the way up at Megiddo, which is next to Dor on the coast, all the way down to Egypt. They are a military people, and they run Dan out of there. While Samson was alive, he was able to keep them at bay and keep Dan as a going organization. So what happens now, once Samson is dead, Dan sends a scouting party to find a new territory. They go up the central ridge, and they wind up just north of Kadesh and Hazor in the Becca Valley. The people there are Sidonians. And you notice there's a mountain ridge between here in the valley and the Mediterranean. So what the scouts from Dan do is they go up there and they find these peaceful people that apparently originally came from Sidon. And they figure that they are going to be easy pickings. And it turns out, of course, that they will be. And part of the reason for that is that mountain range that is between this outpost at Lachish and the main city of Sidon, which is just north of Tyre. So when the tribe of Dan attacks them, there isn't anybody to come help them. So what's happened is a five-man scouting party that goes from the area of Dan around Kareth Jerem and so forth, up through the central ridge, all the way up there, and in the process, they stop in the hill country of Ephraim, where there is a man who has acquired himself a Levite, and the Levite basically left home. He was a, a Judahite Levite, and he left there and he went north seeking his fortune. And he came upon this place where you've got the Ephraimite who has made himself an ephod, a graven image, and an idol. And he hires this kid to be his priest. And he says, cool, now I've got myself a genuine Levite to service my idols, so God is really going to bless me. So that's where we are. And... We've stopped about halfway through 18. So I'm going to back up in Judges 18. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. So Judges 18, 14. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the territory of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore, consider what you will do. So... 
The first scouting party that went up, five guys, stopped at this place and scoped it out, even though they didn't decide that that's where Dan was going to go. But they discovered that there's a household gods and an ephod and a carved image and a metal image there. So when they come back with their 600 guys who are going to take out the city of Laish, they sort of park outside here and says, you know, in there, we've got an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a Levite. The way I described it last time, it's sort of like a biker gang rolls up to your little community and starts rumbling around and so forth, because these are 600 armed guys that are on their way to conquer a small city. So what they're going to do, obviously, is they're going to scarf up both the Levite and all of his religious trappings. And of course, the religious trappings were not made by the Levite. They were made by the guy that owns the house, the Yephraimite. So verse 15, And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. The way this is described, it's a bit ambiguous. I don't know whether they've sort of surrounded the guy or whether he's standing out there chatting with him. And the five guys go in behind his back, and I, I don't know how that all worked. 18. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image of the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be with us, a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man, or the priest of a tribe, a clan in Israel. And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, the household gods, the carved image, and went along with the people. So this young Levite has been hired by Micah to be his household priest, and Micah has supplied all of the idol-worshiping paraphernalia to go with this kid being a priest. So when the biker gang shows up from Dan, they take all of that stuff and says, oh, uh, we'll offer you a better deal. So this Levite has no qualms at all whatsoever about looting his former employer and joining up with the tribe of Dan as they head north. That's where we left off last time. So now we're at verse 21. So they turned and departed putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you, that you came with such a company? Notice what happened here. you got 600 guys armed for war. You've also got livestock, women, children, all that kind of stuff. And you'll notice that as they leave Micah's house, they put the women in front, which means that the armed men are in back. So when the posse comes after them, instead of hitting the women and children at the back of the column, they hit the armed men who are sort of expecting trouble. By the way, one of the things that 
people have said for a long time, and I agree with, is one of the reasons that you can be fairly trusting of the Bible is because when it writes about its own people, it doesn't whitewash them. In other words, if I were writing a heroic story about my people, I would clean up Dan a considerable amount. There'd be a whole lot of stuff that CNN would choose to leave out of the story. So when you see all of this stuff, warts and all, you can be fairly certain that what you're getting is a fairly unvarnished tale of what actually happened. Now, it's obviously selective. The Bible is not that big a book. So there's lots of things that don't get written about and so forth. But the things that do get written about have the ring of truth to them. And I believe it's true anyway, but I'm just suggesting that for people who are skeptical about the Bible, one of the arguments is stories like this, where, yeah, these people were pretty scummy, and we wrote about them, and they're our relatives. So verse 23 again. And they shouted, they, the posse, shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you? that you come with such a company. In other words, the tribe of Dan calls back to Micah and says, what is your problem? Why did you bring all these guys with you? Why did you bring a posse after us? And he said, Micah, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away and what have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? <laughs> it should be pretty obvious what the matter with me is. And the people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. In other words, if you make too much of a fuss, we're going to turn around and wipe your household out. Remember, they got 600 guys. Micah has got folks in the neighborhood that he's been able to round up into a posse. Obviously, far less than 600 guys. 26. Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. So they have successfully pulled off a heist of a Levite and all of the religious trappings for idol worship. And in addition to which, they behaved in a pretty scummy way. 27. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. Verse 30. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So here is your first clue as to who this Levite was. He's a son of Gershom, maybe. We'll assume for a minute it's the same guy. The continuity is not crystal clear. But if he's a son of Gershom, then he is not a Cohen. So I'm assuming that this kid Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, 
and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So that is until the Assyrian Empire comes down and sweeps everybody away. 31. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So what you have is a fairly substantial distance from Dan to Shiloh. So instead of going to Shiloh to do their sacrificing as Moses commands, they set up their own local business there and they do their own stuff there. If you remember, Moses, before they entered the land, gives them some new regulations. Regulation number one is that if you want to slaughter and eat meat, you no longer have to bring it to the tabernacle. If you've got a craving for lamb chops and it's just a plain old regular sheep, you can go ahead and slaughter and have lamb chops. You don't need to trek all the way down to the tabernacle. That's a change from the wilderness because in the wilderness, the tabernacle was right in the middle of the camp and everybody was camped fairly compactly around the tabernacle. So in the wilderness, if you want lamb chops, you had to bring your lamb to the door of the tabernacle and that's where you'd slaughter it and you'd make it basically a peace offering or a thank offering, which means that the priest got part of it and then you and your friends could eat the rest. Barbecue in the presence of God. One of the things that Moses said as part of that discussion is, however, all of your sacrifices have to go to the tabernacle. In other words, you're not allowed to sacrifice and put up an altar just anywhere you want. And the purpose of that, or at least I'm inferring the purpose of that, God doesn't say it in the Torah, so I may be wrong, is to keep Israel united as a nation. So if you want to do your sacrifices and religious observances, you've got to make the trek to wherever the tabernacle is and do it there as opposed to sacrificing wherever you are. And what Dan has done is they have set up their own concern with their own Levite and that will alienate Dan from the rest of Israel eventually. Dan doesn't show up in Revelation. It's sort of the first tribe that goes into exile because they're right up there where the Assyrians come through and they don't last. It says earlier in the book of Judges that one of the things that God finally says is, well, shoot. I don't think God actually said shoot, but whatever, whatever God says. Um, they are not going to do what I told them. Therefore, I am going to let this situation fester the way it is in order to teach them warfare, in order to teach them a whole bunch of things. So you can certainly say, gee, they should have kept the land that God allocated to them, but they weren't able to do it for lots of reasons. So the move north is, I think, the least of their sins. Do with that as you like. I mean, Scripture doesn't say. All right, this is a nasty couple of chapters. And what this is, is the setup to the Benjaminite Civil War. So chapter 19. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. This is not necessarily and probably is not the same Levite we've been talking about. This is a different Levite. 
So was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. Again, I, I got no idea what their problem was, but there was a problem, and, and so she goes home to dad. Verse 3. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. Now, I got no idea what's going on here, but this just smacks of weird. Now, notice that, first off, she was unfaithful to him. So he obviously got grumpy. She leaves, goes back to dad. When the Levite gets down to dad's house, she brings him in. Now, it's the Levite's intention to speak kindly to her. So he's not going down there breathing fire. At least that's not his intention. And the girl's father, when he saw him, came with joy to meet him. So father-in-law is happy to see this guy. Apparently the young woman is happy to see this guy. Just guessing and reading between the lines, I suspect father-in-law looked at daughter and said, what are you doing back here? Or words to that effect. One of the things I just don't know, it describes her as a concubine. And as I understand, concubines are not full wives. You have wives and you have concubines. And so her title flows back and forth between husband and wife and, and so forth. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. And if anybody knows, by all means, jump in. When Samson went down and married the Philistine gal, he never took her home. They had the wedding and the feasts and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the business with the riddle where he gets ticked sideways at her for revealing the answer to the riddle, which means that it cost him 30 changes of clothes. And so he went to a neighboring town and slaughtered a bunch of people to get the 30 changes of clothes to cover his bet. And then he's so ticked, he just leaves. So he leaves her with his father-in-law. Father-in-law is of the opinion that, well, that didn't last long. And turns around and gives her to one of Philistines at the wedding. And so Samson is of the opinion that he just got mad, stomped out of the house and slammed the door and was going to come back once everybody cooled off. Father-in-law was of the opinion, well, that didn't go very well. I guess I better get her off to somebody else. So we have a small difference of opinion there, which of course leads to the slaughtering of God only knows how many people. So here, I have no idea what the dynamic is uh, other than father-in-law and concubine seem happy to meet this guy. So we're all the way down to verse 4. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day they arose early in the morning and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread. After that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, 
be pleased to spend the night and let your heart be merry. Now, I got no idea what's going on here. First off, eating, drinking, and be merry is expensive. You remember the story of Jacob. When Jacob goes north to Laban's house, and he is doing the same thing, eating, drinking, and being merry, and so forth. And finally, Laban says, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and hire you as a hired hand. Tell me what your wages are going to be, because I'm tired of you eating for free. I'm tired of you being a guest, and I've got to feed you. So I'll just put you on the staff here. You can be one of my ranch hands and tell me what your wages will be. And then we have the bargain where he said, I'll serve you six years for Rachel and so forth. Given that background, you might guess perhaps the concubine's father is trying to do the same kind of thing, keep him there and finally get him to be one of the field hands or one of the ranch hands or chief of staff or something. That's a guess. I don't know. It's just speculation. But the point is, father-in-law keeps messing up his plans to leave. And if you remember when Eleazar went up to Haran to get Rebekah, and they had made the deal, changes of clothes and camel loads of stuff and all that kind of thing, the next day, Eleazar says, okay, and I'm getting out of here and taking this bride I have just purchased back to Isaac. And Rachel's relatives kept trying to say, oh, no, no, you're going to have to stay here for a month or so. All sorts of stuff we got to do before you turn you loose. So lots of precedent for this in the Bible. I have no idea what's going on here. Verse 7. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day, he arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant arose to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day is waned toward evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. Now, at this point, the guy is starting to figure out what the pattern is. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside to the city of foreigners, who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. Verse 13, And he said to his young man, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. So this, by the way, obviously echoes the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
the setup is pretty much the same. You have a traveler, he comes to the city, he's going to spend the night in the town square. In the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot says, no, don't you do that, and takes him into his house. In this case, nobody does, but somebody will here in just a minute. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites. All right, now notice you've got the same setup. The men of the town are Benjaminites. The men of the town are Sodomites. The guy that takes them in is Lot, who's a foreigner. The guy that takes this guy in is an Ephraimite. So you've got a traveler who comes into town, doesn't receive any hospitality from the people who own the city, but a foreigner who sojourns in the city takes them in in both cases. Stories are exactly parallel. Verse 17. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going? And where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and your female servant, and the young man with our servant. By the way, your female servant is his concubine. In other words, he's talking to the man. He's saying, I am your servant, this is your female servant. In other words, we, it's, a, it's a polite form of address. He doesn't have a stray servant there. He's got himself, he's got his male servant, and he's got his concubine. So, 19 again. We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you, I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed. And they washed their feet and ate and drank. So precisely the same setup as we have with Sodom and Gomorrah. And pretty much precisely the same result, except the Levite is not an angel, as were the travelers who come into Sodom. Verse 22. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. Exactly the same as Sodom. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them as seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. And notice it's exactly the same response. Everything here is exactly the same as goes on in Southern World. And don't ask me why that's the offer. I got no idea. Again, this would be speculation. But the laws of hospitality are so strong that everything else takes a back seat. And putting the best face on Lot's behavior and this Ephraimite's behavior 
it may in fact be their opinion that he's trying to shame them. In other words, what he's trying to do is, is shame them into stopping, perhaps. And you could probably put that same face on Lot, too. Like, okay, I've got this man under my hospitality. There's no way you can have him. Take this woman, and sort of the expectation is, this is somebody who lives in town. This is somebody we know. Gee, we can't do that. I am guessing. That is pure speculation on my part. Scripture does not say. However, he does follow through and send the young woman out. Verse 25. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning. And when he opened the door to the house and went to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey. The man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. This is the second time that's happened. The cross-reference is 1 Samuel 11, and what's happened is the men of Jabesh-Gilead are being besieged, and Saul needs to raise an army to relieve the city, so he takes a yoke of oxen, divides them up and sends pieces of the oxen throughout Israel and says to everybody, all right, if you don't come and help me, that's what's going to happen to your oxen. And that's his way of raising an army. This is after, obviously, the incident in Judges. So Judges is the first place it happens. Samuel is the second. So 29 again. And when he entered his house, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from this day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. The men of Israel are upset at the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin has behaved the same way as the Sodomites behaved. So what's going to happen after this Levite sends the message to all 12 tribes is they are going to come together and take counsel and then we're going to have the Benjaminite civil war which starts in chapter 20 and I am not going to start it with seven minutes to go so tune in next time and we'll do the Benjaminite civil war